From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Thanks for inviting me into your home, your long-haul truck, your basement, your loft, your cab, your RV and camper, that greasy spoon just off the internet, and your cabin in the woods. Hello to all of you checking us out on one of our affiliates, both in Canada and the United States. Of course, the podcast, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, TuneIn.com, and TalkZone.com. And of course, our groovy apps, two of them that I want to mention. Zoomer Radio has a terrific app. It's free. And also the Conspiracy Show app. Both, again, free downloads from iTunes and Google Play for you Android users. Uh, we are going to be joined momentarily by a filmmaker, cannabis activist, Jeff Eichen, uh, to tell us about a new documentary film in uh, just a few moments. In the meantime, let me remind you about the website, strangeplanet.ca. That's your portal, not only to this radio program, but my other projects, the TV show, of course, also named The Conspiracy Show. So again, just log on to strangeplanet.ca. And uh, if you go to the radio page for The Conspiracy Show, please register as a member. There's a blue button there on the left-hand side. Just click on that. Registration is is fast, it's easy, and it's free. And once you're registered, you have access to members-only areas like the uh, the past show audio archives. And also, I direct you to the live events page at strangeplanet.ca, the live events page, Saturday, October the 15th, fast approaching, and uh, that is... My next live event, Take a Walk on the Dark Side, Rock and Roll Legends, Myths, and Curses with the Fox Mulder of Rock and Roll, R. Gary Patterson. He'll be live on stage uh, presenting some uh, wonderful stories. It's sort of Rock and Roll meets the Twilight Zone. And um, uh, we'll also have special guests joining us by Skype, including Peggy Sue Guerin, of course, Buddy Holly's muse, uh, also, Bill Harry, great friend of the Beatles, the publisher of Mercy Beat magazine, and Leo Lyons, bass guitarist with Ten Years After, a legendary band who really stole the show at uh, at Woodstock. Uh, that's Saturday, October the 15th. Take a walk on the dark side. And again, you can purchase your tickets right online, live events page at strangeplanet.ca. All right, let's talk about marijuana. Now, up here in Canada, our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, uh, pledged to uh, decriminalize, legalize uh, marijuana. Well, there are a number of obstacles standing in the way of that, and uh, we shall see how that plays out. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, there are people on both sides of the border in the United States and Canada who continue to languish in prison uh, because uh, of their use of, of marijuana, possession and uh uh, uh, Mark Emery, of course, the Prince of Pot, as he is known up here in Canada, was arrested by the FBI, and I believe he served something like five years in the United States. He was extradited to the United States for selling marijuana seeds through the mail, and uh, he and his wife, uh, uh, I believe it's Joan Emery, continue to campaign and are really holding the Prime Minister's feet to the fire to make sure that he uh, follows through on his campaign promise to legalize uh, marijuana for recreational use, of course. Medical marijuana now is 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 legal here in Canada and uh, in a number of jurisdictions in the United States. Well, here to tell us uh, more about uh, a new documentary which really focuses on those people languishing in prison uh, for uh, marijuana use and uh, uh, other uh, other aspects associated with uh, with cannabis is a, a filmmaker and, as I say, a longtime cannabis activist. Jeff Eichen. Jeff, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Thank you so much uh, for all you do and for, um, you know, telling it like it is. That's uh, kind of what um, filmmakers should be doing. And, um, you know, I take it personal when there's bad video games and um, people in prison for a plant. Uh, Lifers, true stories told by people in prison for life for their belief in marijuana. Just to... Uh, first of all, before we get too deep into this, tell people where they can watch this documentary, how they can see it. Well, right now it's in its um, it's in its preview stage. Um, I'm on Edit G right now, and I'm going actually to uh, next weekend. I'm going to Brooklyn, New York, to the uh, New York Cannabis Film Festival, and I'm going to be um, having my 
preview there, my trailer, and uh, it, it seemed like I was um, either too inebriated or, which I don't smoke that much anyways, um, but uh, to follow up or to, to have wind of them. But they invited me so graciously. I'm now a sponsor at the New York Cannabis Film Festival. So who knew this 20 years ago we'd be having cannabis film festivals and that um, films do make a difference when they're documentaries, um, not about the fluff, but about the prisoners inside, um, you know, inside prison. And, and in terms of, uh, do you have a handle on how many people in the United States are behind bars because of, uh, again, as I say, either possession of marijuana or perhaps distributing, uh, selling? Well, I was told by Beth Curtis, who owns LifeForPot.com, and she's an elder, and she's been doing it for 20 years, and her brother is in jail for the last 20 years for, um, uh, you know, for marijuana. Uh, he was trafficking it, but um, but the rules were done, and he was not convicted of any charges, and a trumped-up judge decided that the prison system was going to allow him to be away for life because marijuana is a Schedule One drug. And she has told me that I believe there's 3,000 prisoners away for uh, for life. Um, I'm not sure of that exact number. All I know is there's too many, and now that the paradigm and the shift and Trudeau especially, who has promised to release all plant prisoners, um, which is fantastic, by the way, for Canada, um, bravo, and um, they... They're not changing the laws. They're they're not allowing the ones that were in there when the laws were bad. Yeah, I don't I don't care what side of the ledger you're on on this issue, whether you believe they should decriminalize or whether you believe you know that it it should be still a you know a prohibited uh, a drug. I don't care what side you're on. Someone serving life for selling marijuana or using marijuana uh, that I mean murderers are sent away for life. Rapists should be sent away for life. But selling pot. That's just, uh, you know, that's just unconscionable. Well, uh, the top ten, the top ten people that I chose out of the 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 many, the millennium of of interviews that I had at the Drug Policy Alliance in Washington D.C. There was fifteen hundred of us from all over the world. Um, the ones that I chose were people like from uh, the Leapers. The Leapers are law enforcement against prohibition. And one gentleman told me in my film. On in, uh, I got him, and he said, he said that it didn't take me overnight to change my mind because I was brainwashed for so many years that drugs were bad and people that sold drugs were bad. Well, um, I remember interviewing uh, Kevin Booth. Uh, I'm not familiar. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Kevin. He um, was actually a, a childhood friend of the great late comedian Bill Hicks, and um, uh, Kevin produced a couple of documentaries on this subject. One was uh, called uh, How Weed Won the West, and the other one was um, American Drug War. And um, he interviewed uh, Freeway Rick Ross. And uh, Freeway Rick Ross was one of the top coke dealers in Los Angeles in the 1980s. And then uh, I think at his, at his height, he was, uh, he was selling about $3 million worth of cocaine a day, and then Gary Webb from the San Jose Mercury News kind of connected the dots and figured that Rick Ross was being supplied that cocaine uh, by the CIA. And then we know what happened to Gary Webb. He was mysteriously suicided, as we say in this arena. Uh, I mean, cocaine is one thing. Uh, I mean, we know it's just a litany of woe associated with cocaine, but marijuana. It's a Schedule Two drug, and marijuana is a Schedule One. What the heck? <laughs> Absolutely unbelievable. Um, now you've been at this a, a long time—thirty years uh, or more—as a cannabis activist. Um, I work with. Yeah, go ahead. Jack Herrera was the grandfather and wrote the book "Emperors Wear No Clothes," and he wrote the revision in my living room on stems and seeds with Ellen Kopp for months and months and months. And one day he handed me $300 and he said, we finished the initiative. Will you fly it to Sacramento? And they were all too stoned to get the, oh, the initiative there on time. And so be it, you know, how many people were not stoned at, you know, at, 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 at one of the big concerts, you know, and, 
in you know the jazz concerts or or the the one in Upper State New York or the one I'm I'm losing a, a thought on now. Um, and it's just so amazing that Jack said paper, fiber, and fuel, and now there's medicine. CBD is substantiated coming from the plant, and there's food from the hemp seed. And for a vegan like myself, I get all my protein from my hemp seed every day, a handful in my smoothies. And so they can't tell me they can put a human away for a plant, for life. Right, right. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm totally on side, uh, when it comes to medical marijuana. Uh, it seems to have, you know, we have to be careful about making claims, but, uh, um, cannabis oil, uh, again, I go back to the, uh, the, the movie by, with Kevin Booth, uh, this uh, child stricken with cancer up in, um, I believe it was Washington State. And, um, he's the father. Baby, baby Landon, baby Landon from, uh, from teamlandon.com. He's yes. seven or eight years old. Um, it's the Canna moms and they're cruising the country and they're all moving to, to, uh, Colorado so right. they can marijuana for their babies. He has no more brain cancer. And when I asked him at seven years old at my booth at Hempfest two years ago, I said, do you like cannabis? And the little smarty pants said to me, it made my hair grow back. Mm. Right. So as I say, I'm on, totally on board with medical marijuana. I think if we're going to take the next step, which is to decriminalize, um, and I certainly don't think people should be serving time at all. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to think it through carefully and there'll have to be, you know, in terms of distribution and regulation to make sure it doesn't get into the hands of minors and all that stuff. But, uh, well, you know, it, prohibition is one of the, the easy, um, easiest visualizations to share with the planet you know lifers the, the movie the, the job is to awaken people governments in charge and tell the long overdue story and it's a global issue pointed out in my documentary and my intention is to be the voice and i feel this is one of the most urgent modern society you know issues of our time and it's just simply about prohibition it never worked on alcohol prohibition and nobody beat their wife up on pot, but alcohol's legal, you know. So I am really, really, really tired with the three strikes that was created in 24 states in, in America, and they they call it they call it referred to as a persistent offender, and that was in 1993, and the war on drugs was created in 1971 by your beautiful President Nixon. Right. Three strikes and you're in, as you say, on the uh, on the movie poster. Lifers, true stories told by people in prison for life for their belief in marijuana. We'll come back and discuss further with filmmaker Jeff Eichen right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Corporations, governments, and sometimes entire civilizations. What goes up must come down. And it lands on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with filmmaker, cannabis activist Jeff Eichen. The documentary is Lifers, True Stories Told by People in Prison for Life for Their Belief in Marijuana. And I'll refer you to the uh, the website, www.liferthemovie.com. Liferthemovie.com. I'm not sure if this gentleman is featured in the movie, but I know there was a campaign to free this gentleman, and he's free today, and that's uh, Jeff Mizenkansky. Uh, can, can you tell me a little bit about Jeff? My first interview in prison, I went in, and the gentleman that checked me in and looked at every inch of my cameras and my film cameras, opened them up. He's a big, big dude and young and burly, and I said, what's your name? And he said, Bear Claw. C-L-O-U-G-H, and I mm-hmm. said, very native, and my angels have brought me to you, man. Let me in. And I got in, and I interviewed Jeff Mazansky, and we had a green candlelight vigil the night before he went to his first parole board meeting in 21 years in June, and in September he was released. We had a green candle vigil in Uruguay, Amsterdam, and all around America on Google Chat. We and all agreed. And so how long did Jeff serve and what, what did they, what did they imprison him for exactly? 21 
going nine years, and I believe it was for an ounce, an ounce, and a joint. An it ounce wrong, and a joint. Oh, my it God. Was, it was in the wrong place at the wrong time at the end. You know, marijuana is a Schedule One drug, and we know that's right alongside heroin, and cocaine's a Schedule Two drug. This summer, Portugal decriminalized all non-pharmaceutical drugs across the board. Mm, amazing. Uh, give me another, uh, uh, for instance, someone that you interviewed, one of these lifers, and tell me a little bit about their story. When I was at HempFest this week, this this last uh, couple months ago, um, with Sharon and Vivian, who produce a beautiful show every year for the last, I believe, 10 years, it's just humongous and fantastic, and all the people that um, have been in it forever get up and talk, and there's booths, and there's 420 action. It's just beautiful. I met, for the first time, I met George Mon- Montanero or Monterano, and um, you can find his good spelling on my website or on um, liferpod.com or pows420.com. So George invited me out after they were having a gala little get-together, and he said, I'm ready for you, Jeffrey. And I had my LED light on top of my camera, and it looked like we were the witches from Eastwick or something. It was like a flashlight on his face. And he said he was 33 when he went into jail for marijuana, and he's now 66. Oh, my. Which and he said, he also said, you're, you're not going to believe this one, Jeffrey, I was in, I put it in my film. He said, Jeffrey, I was in a boxcar for five years, and when I stopped screaming, I found God. He said he sharpened the pencil he found with his teeth and wrote every inch of the wall for five years in a boxcar, which is now illegal, but not then. For a plant, they put him in a metal room with no windows for five years. It's time to get every one of our boys and girls, brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, out. Um. When is uh, when is the documentary slated for completion, uh, Jeff? It's pretty darn good right now. But what I really am intending is to is to really go for the gusto and snuggle up with uh, Willie Nelson, Snoop Dogg, Woody Harrelson, and if you're listening, you can contact me at lifersandmovie.com. Um, and I just really believe that somebody like Woody, who was a hamster from way back, he made the first hemp surfboard with my friend Chris Boucher, and it was just so beautiful back in the in the 80s and 90s, the, the hemp movement. We were making beautiful clothing, we were importing the fabric from China, and nobody was, was fighting over millions of dollars of recreational. And now that I'm inside, I want all of the big boys or the people, including, you know, Cheech and Tommy, you know, Tommy Chong, um, that have incredible, you know, recreational businesses. I want them to assist lifers with because Woody has a production film production company, and I'll give them the project and I'll stay on as executive producer. But to make it really hit hard, this next weekend I'll be in Brooklyn at the New York Cannabis Film Festival. That's nyccff.com. I'll be there. I'm a sponsor, and I will be meeting with Netflix. Now, Tommy Chong, you mentioned, there's an interesting case. Now, back in early 2000s, I think it was around 2003, uh, they uh, they sentenced Tommy Chong to, I think he got nine months. Doing great. I'm, I'm and this was for a, um, I believe it was distribution of drug paraphernalia. Some Some FBI agents... You want the real story? Well, here's here's the official story anyway. But they ordered one of his uh, his bongs, um, which I think his his son was running this uh, this company. That's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah, and they, yeah, yeah. And because they because it crossed state lines, then they had then they had him. So they busted him. They gave him nine months because he basically mailed a bong, which he sold online across the state line. Nine months for that. Is there another version of that story, or did I? Is that pretty much it? No, that was it. When I interviewed him, and they haven't released my interview yet or allowed me to use it yet, but he said, call me anytime, Jeffrey. I asked him the hard questions. I said, "How? what was it like in prison? And Tommy Chong told me, point blank, it was spiritual. Hmm. Spiritual. 
Interesting. You had to find something to ground right. yourself and right. to, to make it through those days. I mean, George was in a boxcar for five years, for God's sakes. Yeah, that's hell. That's hell. You know, for, for a plan. I mean, Bill Maher said, we got gay marriage, marijuana is next. That gay marriage was a taboo until they took it to the Supreme Court. It got through. And I'm telling you, every every leader in the movement that I interview says, you're right, Jeffrey, there is a parallel between gay marriage happening and marijuana happening because they're, they were tabooed and counterculture. You couldn't, you couldn't say gay marriage really that much on the nightly news, and now they're saying marijuana on the nightly news. Yeah, so I don't, makes- I don't know about the, the, the parallel exactly. I mean, the, 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 because marriage is a state issue. Um, I'm not sure, and, and that's, that's the point of contention. Um, you know, basic civics, you, you know, the Supreme Court doesn't have jurisdiction. That's, that's why it's, it's contested. However, with marijuana, you tell me, cause I'm not, I'm not too, that's state as well, isn't it? That's state, that's, that's a state jurisdiction. Anything not expressly mentioned in the Constitution falls to the states. So don't you have to win this state by state? It is state by state, but then when, when Washington State, where I live, um, became, um, you know, sovereign, um, the, it, it wasn't sovereign, you know, federally, and so the federal could trump anything and come in and close anybody they wanted to. Yeah, that's the problem. They're incur- it's an incursion onto state, state rights, and that's, it's a state. Are there, how many states now have, have legalized medical marijuana, roughly? It's a handful, I'm, right? I'm not sure of that one, but there is a handful. I think it's 11 to 20. Um, that are doing California's next. They're they're going to vote for it um, in the next election, and um, it's just time for you know for you know for prohibition to equal alcohol. Alcohol is right. a much difficult um, drug, and 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 the outcome of doing alcohol is so silly as opposed to. When you smoke, you know, you come home and you have a drink. My dad did for years. He had a Mai Tai. And when he could relax, why can't we choose to come home and relax and not get angry or upset or spin? Right. Um, but if you had, if you had to pick one, one fight, uh, I mean, medical marijuana or recreational, uh, there's, you're forgetting, you're forgetting industrial for, for building homes, for making rope, for making shoes, you know. Right. I mean, if, if it were up to me and we could, we just clump them into hemp is marijuana. Marijuana, it's the family. And it's not that our children are going to get messed up or we're going to have more car accidents. It's that we do it as stewards of the planet that we, that we legalize it like alcohol. Alcohol still abused. Indeed it is, yes. You yes. know, and I was told by um, by a great foodologist, um, uh, Gabriel Cousins from uh, from Patagonia, Arizona, he told me, he just wrote a book on, on children. It was like a four or five hundred page book on the, the, the incredible rearing of children through food and, and gentleness. And he said, for gosh sakes, and I'm not quoting him, but he shared with me that the brain is still developing after 20, so up to like 22, 23, 24. And so alcohol is really bad, but um, he said that he, he suggested that we didn't, you know, um, smoke until, you know, early into our 20s. You know, give our bodies and our brains a chance to develop. Absolutely. So, you, I mean, you obviously uh, have thought this through and, and you see a need for, for some restrictions and, and, and regulations when it comes to... I don't think it should go across the board. We should learn from the alcohol game, and we should um, we should do it properly, and we shouldn't have our hands in everything and cameras everywhere. You know, um, prohibition ended with alcohol, and who knows, you know, um, how much they still watch the you know the Jack Daniels factory, you know, and so on and so forth. That that there's no you know GMOs or there's no dead rats. You know, I mean how how much mold is in the recreational pot that's being grown now? We don't have a mold police, and that's my problem. So I think we should be able to grow it ourselves, especially if you have PTSD and you're, you're from Iraq. You need to be able to know what you're, what you're ingesting. Right. People love right. 
What about tax uh, taxation? Would, would, you, would you see um, legalized marijuana as a tax revenue source? That's perfect. That's, that's, so be it. Let's make rope and fabric again. And, and my stinky paper mill in my small town can be a half paper mill. And we don't have to cut trees for paper and tax the crud out of it that won't make it too expensive. And it'll put the farmers will make their money. The government will make their money. You know, I think Philip Morris already has, you know, containers, cartons already filled with green tobacco. Hmm. Uh, lifers, true stories told by people imprisoned for life for their belief in marijuana. And the website is lifersthemovie.com. Filmmaker Jeff Eichen uh, is with us. Um, the uh, Now, I don't know if you if this is something that you discuss in the film, but, you know, when we're talking about the war on drugs, uh, which was launched by Nixon back in 1971, and let's be fair, Nixon did some good things. I mean, create, created the EPA. Um, but he also had, you know, uh, like most presidents, he had his uh, the yin and the yang and the dark side. Uh, but um, since the war on drugs, um, I mean, how much money have we has been poured into that? It's got to be in the tens of billions of dollars. It says here. Let's see. I, I've got a um, I've got a little thing here that I just read. Just today, the Drug Policy Alliance, which I went to in in Washington D.C. last year which advocates for the end to the war on drugs, estimates that the United States spends $51 billion annually on these initiatives. $81 billion. Hmm. $51 billion. Right. Yes. And uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, the gangs in, well, that are now you know, throughout America in the, in the larger urban centers, uh, are they still fighting turf wars over the distribution of pot, or is it primarily cocaine and heroin or is pot still part of that mix i think pot is is still a, a bit of every mix if if we would end prohibition on marijuana i think we would lose totally the cartel the car, you know the cartel is 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 um in my movie um one of the gentlemen that i interview there he said that the cartel are killing a thousand people a week in mexico and obviously marijuana the marijuana trade is part of that it's huge. It's right. huge, and you know, and these border things, and the you know the, the the rhetoric that's going on in our national campaign now. We won't get started there. It's just it's just huge. And if we decriminalize and we drop the stigma and the Frady cat, you know, um, let me let me read you something really really short here about. Um, yeah, we got about ten seconds. Can you do it in ten? Story began in the '30s with newspaper. Publisher William Randolph Hearst, due to his intense desire to monopolize the newspaper industry, Mr. Hearst teamed up with the lumber industry, which produces paper for his newspapers to make massive process. Right, and uh, and hemp was taken out of the equation, I guess that's... He proposed to the federal government to ban all marijuana plants and hemp products at once. He succeeded in making hemp become illegal to farm, grow, smoke, eat or continue its use for good causes. There you go. Lifers, the true stories told by people imprisoned for life for their belief in marijuana. Jeff Eichen and the website lifersthemovie.com. Thanks for this, Jeff. Fantastic. I really appreciate it. I'll be in Brooklyn next week at the New York Cannabis Film Festival. Love you all and hemp, hemp, hooray. And free the prisoners, free the plants. All right. Rosemary Ellen Guiley joins us next on The Conspiracy Show. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. It's that time of the month for our monthly paranormal roundup. And joining us, as per usual, is our resident paranormal investigator, researcher, best-selling author of well over 60 titles now, including Ouija Gone Wild, Haunted by the Things We Love, and the Zozo Phenomenon, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. How are you? Hi, Richard. I'm doing well. Uh into busy season, it's Halloween time, and things always crank up this time of the year. So I've got uh, lots of things going on. I'll bet, I'll bet. Yeah, this is uh, this is definitely your busy season, and so much to talk about. But I, I, I this caught my eye recently, and I, I saw the video, and it's absolutely chilling. I wanted to get your take on it. This is this uh, uh, down in Guadalajara, Mexico. There is the uh, remains of a Catholic child saint. Which is rem- this? Uh, this uh, child died over 300 years ago, and it's the the, the body is still remarkably intact. 
And uh, along came uh, comes a tourist who's uh, vi- taking videotape of this Santa Innocencia, Saint Innocence. And uh, all of a sudden, well, you take it from there, Rosemary. What happens? Well, allegedly, uh, the videotape captured this uh, incorrupt saint uh, to be blinking, to, to actually open its eyes very briefly on the camera. And, uh, of course, it went viral uh, around the world. And uh, I watched it a number of times, and I, I found it problematic. Um, the part where the the, um, uh, the head of the girl seems to blink, it gets a little blurry. And um, I also don't know why the, the camera person focused so much on the head as opposed to just the entire body. The way it was shot. Um, just seemed rather odd to me, and people have called it a hoax. Um, it, it could, if it's not a hoax, it could be, um, you know, something in the really bad video. It's not a very high quality video, and so that's problematic. Um, it's interesting from the standpoint of the incorruptibility of saints. Uh, many miracles have been attributed to saints after their death, of course, and uh, even including their bodies and. It's very clear from the video of of this girl that her head is a waxen head, uh, which is quite common because um, incorrupt doesn't mean that the body stays like it was during life. Uh, There's a lot of desiccation and shriveling of the flesh, even exposure of the skeleton. Um, And quite often the head will deteriorate to the point where from just an aesthetic uh, standpoint, uh, wax is um, is put over it, or a waxen head. Usually, when incorrupt saints are shown, you just see the head. When, when they're laid out in their reliquaries, you just see the head, the hands, and the feet. And so, this really isn't the the original head of the girl. So that brings another whole issue into this. Now, um, I, I did some research uh, about, you know, were there other stories of incorrupt saints who supposedly moved or, um, you know, showed some, some signs of life after, uh, long after they were dead. And the, the only reference I could find was to a Polish saint, a very obscure Polish saint, who died in 1623. And um, he was martyred. He was uh, struck with a very heavy stick. Then he was hit with an axe. And he was shot in the head. Oh dear! And, it almost sounds uh, like Rasputin. How they got tried to get rid of him? I know. And then his body was finally dumped in a river, which I think something like that happened to Rasputin yes. too. Didn't they try to drown him? First they tried. Uh, they, first they tried to poison him, and then they shot him, and then yeah, then they threw him in the river. So uh, th- there was a story that went around about this incorrupt saint that his axe wound. Uh, healed after he was dead and incorrupt, and uh, you know that became a legend too. So there, there's not a whole lot out there about uh, saints, you know, showing life after, um, you know, long after they're dead. So I'm a little suspect of this story, especially with the waxen head. Right, uh, Saint Innocentia or Saint Innocent, I suppose. Uh, and again, this is a, a little girl. Uh, who apparently, you know, loved the church, loved the Eucharist in particular, and uh, a very tragic story uh, that unfolded 300 years ago, I guess. After taking Holy Communion, uh, she came home and her father plunged a knife into her, uh, and her body was taken to the um, the cathedral in Guadalajara, where she, she lies in state to this day. Um, and again, you're right. Whenever there's video evidence, that's always suspect, particularly... With all of the technology and software uh, available, you can do just you can make people see anything you want. But uh, the video, uh, which is just posted everywhere online, it's gone viral. It appears appears to show uh, the um, the incorrupted body or the head uh, blinking on camera. Uh, but who's to say? As you say, it, it does it it is very suspect because it's kind of blurry. It is, uh, and uh, you know we have other odd stories too, like the religious statues that weep tears of blood or tears of oil. Uh, there are miraculous phenomena that uh, that are associated to the saints. I'm just not convinced that this is one of them. All right, I think I'm uh, I'm on your side on this one, Rosemary. We'll take a time out. We'll come back and uh, continue to delve into the paranormal right here on the Conspiracy Show. Don't go away.
The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We're back with Rosemary Ellen Guiley. It's our monthly paranormal roundup. And uh, let me just remind you, Rosemary's website, visionaryliving.com. Visionaryliving.com. Check out the bookstore. There are uh, over 60 titles, uh, including uh, an encyclopedic work on the saints, which we just uh, finished discussing. Uh, but these games, uh, and I think it's playing with fire, but these games are just rampant now. And there, there's so many different versions, and, and they seem to be going viral, I guess, thanks to the Internet. Uh, but, but kids are playing and dabbling in the occult, it seems like, now more than ever. And, and recently on a website, Rosemary, uh, called Bloomhouse.com, uh, they listed some of these games and, and uh, gave some detailed descriptions. I never heard any, any of these. Uh, something called the Dark Reflection. Tell me about this. Well, these games are quite dangerous, as you point out, Richard, because um, they play on young people's desires to have a scare and a thrill, but they are literally playing with fire because they have real occult elements in them that can open the door to something very terrifying. And uh, a game like The Dark Reflection uh, uses mirrors and candles, and... Uh, you stare into the mirror, and uh, a lot of these things, they have to be done, of course, in the middle of the night. Some of them, say, like between midnight and 3, but uh, you, you stare into the mirror, and you put your own energy into it. And whenever you put your energy into something, this is a, a factor in magic that you are willing something to come into being. Mirrors have a long history of being doorways to the spirit world, and we find them in problem haunting. So already uh, you're taking a tool that, uh, it's a very powerful doorway, and I teach black mirror scrying, but uh, as, as a way to communicate with the dead, you have to know what you're doing. You can't just throw open the door uh, and uh, see what's out there. So in, in this game, you stare into the mirror, uh, putting a lot of energy into it, so you're staring at your reflection, which if you stare at it long enough, is going to start changing on you anyway. It right. looks pretty creepy. And then you breathe the fog onto the mirror, and hold the candle to it so that it creates a scorch mark. And this is supposed to, this is the purpose of this game. It's supposed to release a mass of negative energy into the room. Why would you want to do that? Exactly, exactly. You literally opened the door and invited something horrific and negative to come into your home environment. And, uh, you know, a lot of these rituals, they're not going to be successful. The kids are just going to wind up scaring themselves just going through it. But they could work, and they, uh, they could invite something very negative and powerful into the home environment that then may have the ability to stay. Well, I guess ostensibly the way it's supposed to work, although, again, it, it is, it's playing with fire, that the, the, the negativity that comes into the room is supposed to be temporary, and then it's supposed to be released somehow the following morning so that this purging of this bad luck is supposed to how, somehow lead to success and good fortune. And that's totally crazy because the ritual doesn't provide any way for purging this energy. And when you have something negative that's lodged in your, in your house space, uh, it requires some type of exorcism in order to get it out if, uh, if it doesn't leave on its own. So you've invited something really negative to come in with this really crazy idea that somehow this is going to wind up sweeping bad luck out of your house, and then there's no prescription for, for how to get it to go. So it's tailor-made. If it works, it is tailor-made for problems. If you want to get rid of the bad luck in your life and turn your life around, you should be connecting with the forces of light and good, Absolutely. not with the negative forces. Absolutely. There's another similar, well, there's a several similar takes on this, and there's another one that's out there. And again, these games supposedly are going viral. So, you know, if your kids are having a, a sleepover party or something, make sure you, you know, find out what they're actually up to. There's another game. It's called the Midnight Game, where they try to sum summon someone called the Midnight Man. What's that all about? Uh, to me, the Midnight Man immediately called up images of shadow people and the Hat Man. Uh, and here again, you're playing with very problematic, dangerous entities. And uh, this is one that has, uh, you know, some clock. You know, these things are supposed to go out in the middle of the night. Well, there are very specific times that you're supposed to do this. And uh, you're, you're supposed to have a closed wooden door in the, in the ritual with a candle, pen, and paper. And here's... Uh, the really bad part about it, you're supposed to use drops of your own blood. Oh, dear. 
now this is uh, this is a tenet of certain kinds of uh, spirit summoning that uh, the dead in spirits uh, will take the energy from the life force, and this is one way that uh, you can uh, summon them is is uh, in rituals where uh, that's why animals are sacrificed. Uh, using your own blood is another way to do it. This is incredibly dangerous. So uh, you put your name on a piece of paper, you put blood on it, so you've really aligned the life force with your name. And uh, then you're supposed to light the candle and sit there in the dark with just the candle. And um, then you knock on the door 22 times. And there's no explanation for why it should be 22. Actually, I'm not certain why it isn't 33, because 3 is supposed to be the demonic number that mocks trinity uh-huh. um but you have to do all this very quickly like in a you know uh just a minute or so right you have to, and you have and to start be- before 1201 for some reason before a minute after midnight right then then you open the door and uh put the candle out and supposedly opening the door ushers this midnight man in and if you light the candle and leave the room uh, and then leave the candle burning and uh, walk around the house uh, and concentrate on a wish. And, and um, uh, then supposedly, uh, you know, the midnight man is going to grant your wish. Well, I think the midnight man is going to be giving you a heck of a nightmare. Oh, dear. So, it, 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 but it gets worse because apparently um, you have to, um, uh, once the midnight man sort of, you, has has made his presence known. The candle goes out somehow, and if you fail to relight the candle within a certain amount of time, like ten seconds, uh, you're you're gonna you're apparently the midnight man is gonna conjure your greatest fear before disemboweling you. That's right, and um, highly unlikely that a, a spirit's going to disembowel you. Uh, I've never heard of any such thing. However, negative spirits can do physical harm. And if if you have put all this concentration into conjuring up something scary and negative uh, coming into your home environment, uh, you could very well uh, have uh, an entity on your hands that uh, is, is going to uh, uh, have the capability of harming you and other people in it. How long have these be- games been around, Rosemary? I think they've been around a very long time. Um, it, it's impossible to pin down, certainly in the 20th century, uh, I mean, I, I remember when I was a kid, uh, you know, not that long ago. <laughs> no, just a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> uh, you know, there were always games that uh, you played to, to conjure something. You mentioned Bloody Mary, you know, in, in the beginning. That's been a popular one for many, many decades. But what's alarming me is these games are getting more dangerous. And when, when you start um, playing around with mirrors in the wrong way, you... Uh, add your blood to a summoning. And then there, there was another game that involved taking a doll and putting your own um, uh, nail clippings in it and binding it up and then stabbing it. Oh. Uh, nail clippings, hair, bits of clothing, uh, these are all things uh, commonly used for centuries in spell casting and magical rituals, usually for the intent to harm someone. It's a form of sympathetic magic. And so you've got uninformed kids literally playing with fire uh, just for the sake of, of getting a scare. And uh, it, it's, it's a very disturbing trend. And it, it seems to have, I would say, with, definitely within the last decade and certainly within the last five years, um, we've seen more of these games. And they go viral thanks to the Internet. Right, right. You know, uh, coincidentally, what was on uh, TV uh, last night, the night before, the mighty Aphrodite and I were watching, it was uh, The Skeleton Key. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie with uh, uh, Gina Rowlands, great actress. Who, she was married to the late John Cassavetes. Uh, and then Goldie Hawn's daughter, whose name escapes me, um, young, uh, talented actress. And uh, it involves, you know, this creepy old house down in uh, one of the parishes in Louisiana, and um, the the previous occupants of this house had sort of dabbled in, not dabbled, they were well steeped in hoodoo, uh, which is not, we're not talking voodoo, uh, but hoodoo, which is kind of a, I guess, a, a magic that comes from 
sort of a co- combination of Africa and uh, pl- transplanted in America and sort of mixed with the um, the Cajun culture. A lot of this stuff, especially when it gets into you know mirrors and candles, sounds like hoodoo. Uh, it does have a lot of similarity. In, in hoodoo, you're using using natural ingredients for spell casting. And so you do things like um, you take um, uh, these sympathetic magic items, the, the hair, the nails, um, clothing bits, photographs, and things like that. You're using food out of your kitchen. Uh, you're using dolls. You're using other things as, as a way of casting spells and not they're not all negative there are many hoodoo spells for prosperity and love and getting rid of uh, negativity and evil but uh, they they do require um, when you've got kids who are looking for a thrill and they're going to turn it to the negative uh, you really need to know what you're doing and um, it um, I, I would wager that uh, there are uh, kids experimenting with with these things and having them literally uh, blow up on them. You know that, that they then have serious problems. Uh, the Three Kings. Uh, this is another game that's apparently gone viral, an occult type party game. And this one also uses mirrors, and um, it's uh, another way of summoning uh, something uh, into your presence. And uh, they call it the shadow side. Uh, and so here again, it's going looking for something uh, dark. This is an alternate reality called the shadow side. And uh, uh, you're supposed to be in a dark windowless room. You have two mirrors and three chairs and a candle. And uh, you should be accompanied by a friend. You don't do this by yourself. So you set up the three chairs. Uh, like thrones, and you take the one, uh, you as the player, take the one uh, that would be designated to the king, and the other two chairs represent the queen and the fool. And uh, the room has to be left alone until from midnight to 3.30 a.m., and these really are some of the most problematic hours of the night for uh, the operations of, of dark forces. And so after that time, then you uh, take your place on the king's throne with a candle lit, and you stare straight ahead into the darkness, and you keep staring uh, and ask questions. And uh, supposedly you're going to get the answers to these questions, um, but you have to keep staring straight ahead or it kind of breaks the spell. And you do, do this until exactly 4.34. These rituals, they don't give any reason for these times, you know, and I think that some of them are concocted just to the way spell casting is, you know, make it sound exotic. Uh, And uh, the candle cannot uh, go out. It has to be relit if it goes out. Uh, And you absolutely cannot uh, shift your eyes. Uh, And supposedly you're going to get the answers to your questions. Um, out of all the games we've we've talked about, um, this one is a little more benign than the others. But you've got mirrors in the room, and, and the ritual really doesn't address what what the um, um, mirrors exactly are for. But if you have them placed, uh, and it would be understandable to think that kids might do this, if you have the mirrors placed so that they are facing into each other in any way, or even at right angles to each other, so that uh, you can see the other, one mirror in the other. This does create uh, kind of an unstable... Um, right, you're, you're opening up... up space. You're opening up portal. door. Absolutely. Uh, we are out of time, Rosemary. In the meantime, uh, the Zozo Phenomenon, your latest book with uh, co-author Darren Evans, uh, available. And again, the website, visionaryliving.com. Rosemary, speak next month. Always a pleasure. Thank you very much, Richard. Good night. Good night. All right, my thanks to Ian and uh, Albert, uh, Jonathan Franz, all of you for listening. I'm back next week with a brand new show. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There is nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the rooftops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.